0: I don't know about you. When I'm looking for a plumber, I like to read my reviews. Homeadvisor.com gave me some reviews on our sponsor, Art of Plumbing. Called them. They arrived on time. Immediately found the plumbing issue and fixed it right the first time. I called them last year, and it was great. I called them again this year because I had a problem again. They came out. They fixed the problem. They even gave me solutions to help stop the problem in the future at 541-9405. Take a walk with me, not like you used to do, do something different. And put yourself in other people's shoes. Open up your mind, and open up your eyes, and change your direction, change your perspective. Welcome in to other people's shoes. I, of course, am your host, Neil Matthews. I am so excited today. I might be freaking out a little bit. So if you catch a little more excitement in my voice today, there is a reason. And here's the reason. We're sitting down with, in my mind, one of the most amazing women I have ever encountered. And I'm going to talk about that more in a minute. She is a She's a wife. She's a mother. She's a speaker. As I said, she's a powerful woman. FBI consultant, that in itself, is going to beg some questions. She's a podcaster and, of course... Probably the most important part of her story is she escaped nearly six years of human trafficking. Help me welcome in my guest, Rebecca Bender. Rebecca, how are you?
1: Hey, thank you so much. What what an intro to live up to. No pressure. Right?
0: (laughs) I I love the fact that we're getting some moments today, and so thanks uh, thanks for doing that. I know uh, we're kind of quarantine mode and kind of coming out of that in a lot of respects, but... But you gave us some moments today, and we're not going to disappoint. We're not going to, you know, waste any time. But we got to get most important question, of course, you'll ever, in my mind, ever be asked in your whole entire life, and that's this: okay. what size shoes do you wear? <laughs> I wear an
1: eight shoe. <laughs> this is an awkward question. Well, we
0: got to know what shoes we're in, right, today, if we're going to be in your shoes
1: okay okay i see i see them spin okay i go somewhere else right i'm
0: uh, <laughs> you can go anywhere <laughs> you want with that I, I don't know yeah well
1: yeah. we we work with a lot of weirdos online so what size is your shoes in, <laughs> that's a true I,
0: I guess that is a little different but but an eight right you did you say eight did i hear that right i i
1: am i do wear an eight the funny thing about that is i actually used to not wear an eight. I used to be like a seven, seven and a half. And I had what feels some days like a million children, especially when you're in the midst of quarantine. And my foot grew to an eight and a half, like a full shoe size bigger. And I had to like go buy all new shoes. I mean, slowly, I increased my collection. My husband was not thrilled, but the crazy part is then now it's been a while since I've had my last kid, and my feet have started to shrink back down to normal. And I'm like, no, I gotta go get all shoes again that's my husband a, says i'm just using this as an excuse that's a terrible
0: show. terrible thing to, to uh, i love shoes and so that's kind of why we named this show this is other people's shoes is i love shoes and so i thought well you know we're walking in someone else's shoes someone else's perspective someone else's thought process so that that's kind of where we all stem that from so it's not that creepy i yeah, guess that's cool so do you have a certain brand yeah, or style no, you not. like more than another
1: Oh, I mean, I used to be like a platform, heels, anything trendy. I'd love a good snake print or cheetah print. But I'm also an Oregonian girl. So I got a couple Burks under the bed. And at the end of the day, I'm, you know, getting older. And so a cute pair of of just white Adidas with any dress can work out itself well.
0: (laughs) All of a sudden, I have uh, Run DMC running through my head right now, my Adidas. So there's that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, my,
1: my daughter runs track for UC Berkeley and I, they're an Under Armour rep.
0: So yeah. So
1: I was uh, hoping they'd get repped by Adidas and she could yeah. throw me some gear, but, uh, Under Armour's still pretty good.
0: Yeah. I do know that she was at, at Cal and, uh, I was a little disappointed that she did not stay for our, uh, beloved ducks because Oregon duck track is just where it's at. I love Steve Prefontaine and so hey, we, anyway.
1: We were too. We were disappointed too.
0: <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. Yeah. We're not going to we touch like, that one.
1: <laughs> You're, she's the second fastest female in Oregon's history. How do you How do you not at least invite for a walk? You know, like walk, invite on for a, a tour, a visit. Um, but
0: Yeah, that's, that's another story. story.
1: That's that's the ducks. <laughs> that's the that's the ducks. Yeah, <laughs> maybe she'll go back. Yeah, she does have a master's degree to finish, and she's definitely considering you of o for her for her master's degree and um and she loves to to be able to run it's been such a blessing for her to grow up running on Hayward track Enough for state championships are every year for our high school kids and there are people all over the world who wish they could run on Hayward track and to grow up running on it and going going to camps there um she's still very blessed and she gets to run against the UFO girls and she beat a couple at indoors last year so that was fun <laughs>
0: Well, in my mind, when she comes back to Hayward as a cow bear, you know, she can show Oregon what, what they're missing, right? Yeah, maybe
1: she'll come back as a duck and run
0: on her masters and see. We'll see where God leads her. We don't know. Amen. So, uh, Rebecca, as I said kind of at our opening onset uh, that nobody got to hear because they're not cool enough to hear pre-show stuff, um, m- maybe one day we'll have a Patreon and people could do that. But your book brought me to tears and, and open weeping. Uh, did occur. But for our audience and for those that may not know your story, will you help us break that down and, and tell us, you know, the, the, the book is Pursuit of Love and uh, and why you wrote it and then, uh, you know, the brief synopsis kind of, of of the story and where you go with the book.
1: Yeah, I mean, my book In Pursuit of Love is, is my, my memoir of being trafficked right here in the U.S. Um, and I wanted to write the book because I wanted to share my story in general long time ago because I, I wanted people to know that trafficking existed in communities right here in the U.S. I think most of us, survivors included, we all envision human trafficking as, you know, this white minivan, kidnapping, stranger danger, kids smuggled across state lines or into other countries even. And, and it's such a myth conception of what domestic exploitation really looks like, um, that we miss it. We miss it every day. We miss it in our communities all the time and we don't know what to look for. And so that's partly why I just wanted to start sharing my story to help people know what it really looks like in your own town right now. And, um, eventually I wrote a book, um, tried to get a book deal for a long time. No one wanted to find me. And so it took me a long time to get this book deal and I'm, um, grateful um, it did, you know, a lot of a lot of time to process my story. I think I think I went public too soon. You know, about ten years ago, I came forward with my story, and um, I just think I wasn't ready. I didn't know, I didn't, I hadn't processed my trauma real well, and so I shared it from a different, like, rose-colored goggles type lens, uh, although not rose <laughs> trauma-colored goggles. Um, and so I'm glad that that the Lord took a lot of time to get get the book out there because I think it, I wouldn't have been ready before Him. Not that I'm ready now. I still might have a whole bunch of therapy that I might remember that story differently, you know, the whole thing. But, you know, like, oh, that one one little moment, I actually, I think that was in the Venetian, not the Bellagio. But, you know, I tried to preface the book by saying that's what memories do.
0: Well, right, and I, I think you do a great job articulating that. For those who haven't read, read the book yet, we're going to link that in our show notes. And, in fact, um, we are hoping to get a copy, uh, and so we're, we're going to talk about that and, and maybe have Rebecca sign it and, and talk about that down the way. But my point that I wanted to get to is you're six years into this, right? And you go kind of from three different men who trafficked you. And in my mind, which one... I, I have my own opinion because I'm reading it from my perspective. But in your mind, which one was the hardest? Who treated you the worst, I guess, of the three?
1: My last trafficker that I was with the longest um, was absolutely uh, what would, would, would actually be known as a gorilla trafficker. There's all sorts of different types of pimp-controlled domestic trafficking. There's Romeo trafficking. They call it CEO trafficking, where a lot of people will pretend to be. Um, like a model agent, uh, music video agent, so they're coming at you with a business offer. Um, business trafficker is another term, and then a gorilla trafficker, both spelled. I've seen it spelled both animalistic and militant, and they just use brute force. And um, and then there's something that happens through that trauma that becomes like a Stockholm syndrome, capture bond with your with your abuser, but it definitely was the scariest most violent um even one of the girls I was trafficked with her name's also Rebecca but we refer to her as Brandy throughout the book because it would have been confusing to have two women with the same name um so we renamed her Brandy but I thank her in the back and we do lots together today speak and share and um she'll even say often that I was the most abused in the home I endured the most abuse out of all, all the other women even
0: why do you think that was
1: well, oh, There's a moment, I think I share this in the book, where my trafficker says, um, I remember him like pulling me out and beating me with a chair. I don't think I go into that much detail. We have to be careful. You don't want to just have like chapter after chapter after chapter of abuse. So I just shared a couple, I tried to just hit the high, I don't want to say high notes by any means, but like the heightened part of the story arc, <laughs> I should say. We tried to hit the arc on just a few things, but um I can remember a time when he pulled me out in front of everyone beat me and then said, this one has a spirit that won't be broken. And I I can remember being so um, embarrassed by that embarrassed that for some reason, I just couldn't get it right. For some reason, I always had something to say Um, for some reason I couldn't conform like everyone else so easily. And I, I, for many, many years, felt really embarrassed that I had a spirit that wouldn't be broken, and um, it's taken me some time to actually. I mean, you can even hear me getting emotional talking about it, but it's yeah, taken me some time to um, to embrace and and like own it. Like you're you're damn right, I have a spirit that won't be broken. God gave me the spirit, and I will not let you take me out. But it it took a long time to gain that kind of confidence again to, to just own what God gave me and, um, and say it's for a purpose.
0: Um, I think your story is powerful and, and I'm just curious, how on earth did you get the strength to even possibly write it out, articulate it out, and then continue to share it? The, the continue to share part is probably, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it, it it may get easier. Maybe it doesn't. I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm fascinated by your strength and able to share your story and, and, and why did you, or how did you get that strength to be able to do that?
1: You know, I think one of the things that's so interesting about kind of sharing your story and and coming forward with your testimony and and all different sorts of forms and fashions that doors just do you know, that you just go through doors that open for you and I hope, you know, trust that they'll lead where you're supposed to be. Um, But one of the things that really helped, I think for me was, even just piggybacking on that whole, your story, you know, your, your spirit, that won't be broken feeling is sometimes I feel like the church can be a little bit that way for women. And, um, it kind of, and, and I say big C church can, you know, make women feel like just sit down, be quiet, don't leave, da, 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 whatever the things are that we've been taught, um, through different faith traditions that may or may not be rooted in great contextual context. But, <laughs> So I to say that I wanted, um, I had these moments where I felt like God is something wrong with me, that I want to share, that I want to come forward, that I want to talk about having a spirit that won't be broken and, and that I am bold and that I am a leader. And and so if I'm not supposed to be like this, then why did you create me like this? And so it went from like having my trafficker continually say my spirit won't be broken to feeling ready to change the world, quote, unquote, you have this like heart moment, but then being told like, no, you're not, that's not what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to be, you know, all of these things. And and so I really wrestled through the calling of like, God, if this is what you're wanting me to do, um, I need you to move. I need you to go before me and pave the way and open doors and give me the words to say. And I I can remember him having this time in prayer of just wrestling with the Lord in prayer over, like, why didn't you make me this meek and quiet spirit? Why am I this, like, spirit that won't be broken type of woman? And and I can remember suddenly remembering the stories of Jesus, like, turning over the tables in the marketplace and rebuking his disciples for falling asleep when all he asked them to do was pray. Like, you can't even do the one thing. You know, like, just this moment. And I felt like the Lord said, "You're a lot more like my son than you think." And it was just this this breaking free moment to just be who I am, and that being Christ like can look so different for so many people, um, and that to just lean into who, who God had made me to be, and and that He did the rest. So, kind of why I came forward. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I was talking to my sister, uh, Angel. So there's a shout out to my sister. She always likes it when I talk about her on the show. Um, not really. She'll probably send me a text <laughs> later after she hears this. But um, but I turned her on to your book as well. And, uh, and she called me after she finished it. And she was just like, that is so powerful. Like, I have so many questions. You have to get her on the show. I want to, I have so many. And so I was like, okay. And so when we, you know, got the confirmation that we we're going to have you, I called her immediately and I was like, okay, Angel, guess what? We got her. And she said, okay, if you get her, you need to ask her this question. And I was like, okay, all right. So, so what okay, is it? I'm ready. I'm ready. So, so this is not my question. <laughs> this is my sister Angel's question. Give credit where credit's due. Oh, well,
1: if it's bad. If it's bad,
0: it's it's Angel's fault. So there we are. Yeah. So Angel's asked. And, and by the way, Angel, a little background on her single mom, uh, been divorced a couple of times. Um been through some traumatic stuff as a child, uh, don't want to go too far down that road, but give you a basis of who she is, who you're in the room with, right? So she asks this question. Okay. She said, how on earth is it possible for you to trust and love a man again after going through what you went through?
1: Yeah, I I actually, that was the exact question my pastor asked me at our like marriage counseling. You know, before you get married, you, a lot of churches will say you got to go into those like, yeah. premarital sessions right. or whatever. Yes,
0: went through and, that uh, myself, yeah.
1: I got that... Yeah, I got that same question, and, and I've had it before. And I think what I hope people know is that I grew up with a really great grandpa. He laid on the ground and played with me, opened presents with me. He'd paint my toenails or run set three. I mean, I just have all these memories of of a really – my grandpa's a really good man. And I had a great uncle. Um, my dad had his moments, but I knew that he, I knew in his heart, like he was a great, he was a good guy. He just, he, he suffered from alcoholism and depression, but he, he never hurt me. He never abused me physically, never sexually. I mean, like, I've, I've never, I didn't have any of those experiences. Um, and so I knew that good men existed. They were definitely few and far between when you're living in a life of human trafficking, of course. <laughs> if not more few than, than the latter, but um, I knew they were out there and I knew they existed and, and I knew that good men existed. And it may have ta- it may take a little bit longer to kind of sift through the bad, um, right? How, they, there's that, probably not a very good thing, but the whole like, how many frogs do you kiss so you get the prince type of thing. But it didn't let me lose hope is what it did. It instilled in me hope that I knew good men existed And I was bound to find the one. Um, And I've engaged since then with so many incredible men in the fight against the exploitation of human beings. Um, Great cops, great FBI agents, great law enforcement, prosecutors, men like you, right? There's there's so many good men. There's actually a lot more than there are bad. When you've lived, though, in, in a lot of trauma and abuse, it feels like the only people you see around you are the bad. But if you just know that there's hope, climb out of it and keep looking because there are a lot more good um, than there are bad. And, and, and I believe that God will continue to bring you to the right place at the right time to find the one. Um, but we have to be on guard, right? Why is the serpent tumble as dove? You got to, you got to be on guard. You got to be, use discernment. You got to use wisdom. i has been a couple of times in my life, and this isn't about men, but where we've had, you know, situations where I'm like, oh, I think we should, you know, help out this or go here, go there. And my whole team, and even my board, would be like, "I'm getting a lot of red flags about that person. I don't think we should." And, and I have none. And I have no red flags. And I had to start learning. Like, I need to trust my team, and I've got to lean on. If everyone around me is saying, "Alert! Alert! Alert!" Um, I got to listen. And I think, I think sometimes, a we don't tell people when we have red flags about somebody because it feels like not our place. But it's important that we do speak up when we're like, man, something's just awful little. I don't know what it is. And and I know that you might be mad at me for saying that. But just know that I say it from a place of love and concern for you. And I support you either way. I just want you to know that I get it like a check <laughs> in my spirit about that. So I think it goes both ways. We've got to speak up to those we love and and um, keep, climbing, keep climbing for the home because a lot of good ones do exist. And, and they're out there.
0: I feel like you were talking right to her at that moment. I know you're making general statements because you don't, you don't know my sister, but I felt like you were talking right to her. So that was nice. Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're in this search series. Um, we're asking people this, this amazing question. The shoe question was pretty cool, but this is probably the real question of, of it all, right? What is the greatest thing you ever searched for?
1: What's the greatest thing I've ever searched for? Yep. Um... I kind just of think that's a
0: good question. Um, By the way, as a podcast host, I love that when people say
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> say
0: that again. I said I love it when people say that as a podcast host. That's a great question. That that lets me know that we're like thinking deep. Like we're we're not going to get just you know superficial stuff. We're getting deep stuff now. You know right? Yeah.
1: So what do I search for? Get. I'll say that one more time. I'm trying to like. There's yeah, so many things. Yeah, that's okay.
0: I, I the direction Gr- to go. Yeah, greatest <laughs> thing you've ever searched for. So I I don't know what that is, right? I mean, it's it's kind of meant to be open ended.
1: Mm-hmm. Greatest thing I've ever searched for. I mean, obviously, I wrote a book called In Pursuit of Love, <laughs> so I feel like the greatest thing I've ever searched for is love and. One of the things I wanted to really highlight in this book, and, and I hope it came out, I know putting the, the title, the, the word love in your title can potentially give room for a lot of more romanticism than is intended. But one thing I think is so powerful is that as a, as a human, my search for love wasn't just romantic love. And like, my search for love was about belonging. It was about, um, uh, I wanted kids. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have better community with my parents. I wanted to find a group of people that I could be authentically me and take my guard down and not worry they're going to use it against me later. I wanted to find, um, just belonging, so to speak, and, and purpose. And I wanted to know that everything I lived through wasn't for nothing. And so this, like, love was not just romantic. It was like, the love for community, the love to give and, and receive community, um, the love to just be present with the people that are in my life in a way that's, that's really authentic. Um, so, yeah love, but that's, that's the small shameless plug to stay on brand. Really? It's about belonging.
0: <laughs> no, it's good. The pursuit
1: of belonging is, isn't so good, I guess.
0: Because <laughs> when I was thinking about like, how are we going to title your episode? Cause we're saying, you know, the search for, and, and that's kind of how we're titling things this season, right? The search for, you know, whatever the search for blank. I was actually thinking last night as I was, you know, mentally preparing f- to talk to this amazing person. I'm like, God, give me that title. What is it? And I kept coming back to Mm -hmm. the search for love. And I was like, that seems cliche. That seems, you know, too much, you know, I don't know. And I was like, we'll just ask her and see what she says. And so that just fits right perfectly with what we were thinking. So that's awesome. I'm glad that 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 works out. So my sister's amazing, as I talked about, but I'm married to a more amazing woman. Uh, Not that, well, she's a little more (laughs) amazing than than my sister. She's my wife who turned me on to your book. And so her and I were brainstorming last night. She often doesn't get show content. Like, you know, I don't talk about, like, what we're going to talk about. She wants to be surprised. But she's an amazing woman. Met her in high school. Pretty fortunate. We've been married 19 years now. And uh, amazing yep. woman of God. And so I said, Bib, what would you ask Rebecca? And she goes, I, I don't know. There's so much. And I was like, okay, well, give me one because I'm struggling. Again, going back to the well. Like, struggling with what should we ask? and this is weird because uh-huh. normally I don't, but I was so like nervous. I couldn't come up with questions. And, uh, so my wife said, here's her question. She says, um, if there's something, is there someone or something that would have stopped you, uh, from, from being trafficked? Is there something that, or something or someone that that could have stopped you from being trafficked in your mind? That's, again, these are
1: really great questions. And, and, um, Here's the thing I would love for people to know, because people ask, I, I don't, you know, people do ask that a lot. What's one thing someone could have said that was stopping talk? I'm like, you're going to hate the answer. There's not one thing that you can say to somebody to get them out of the life of human trafficking or to prevent them from being trafficked. There's not. Traffickers are targeting vulnerable people. They're providing over a series of extended periods of time the item that you, as a vulnerable person, feel like you're lacking. So they're targeting single moms. They're targeting people in poverty. They're targeting marginalized community groups who have no, no community. And they're being those things to those people. And so it's this, it's this really um, deep, grafted relationship that they create with you before they ever traffic you. And so then when some one person comes in and is like, that's a bad guy, you think, but I finally have community. I finally have belonging. I finally have someone that's going to help me and my baby. I finally am able to put food on the table. And that one person who's telling me this one thing, like, be careful, they're a trafficker, how can I help, whatever, they're not depositing in my love bank enough to become that instead of. And so something I would encourage people to do is if you really want to prevent trafficking, you have to get involved with people at risk. You have to get to engage in foster care communities. You have to maybe be a respite foster care worker for people. You have to be a big brother, big men, big sister, and a mentor group. Sign up for Good News Club every week. Be there and be present with people who are going volunteer at, at the homeless. Shelter, Hearts with a Mission, locally, continually needs volunteers. Those are the most at-risk people to be trafficked. And so you've got to be involved. It's not just one thing. It's a long game. You've got to, like, run the marathon to prevent trafficking, not, not, the, not the sprint, right? And, and here's the thing is that traffickers are doing it. And if we can't, if we can't keep up, if we can't run the marathon right along with them, then they'll continue to win. That's prevention. It's
0: the long game. I think that's powerful. And I think that's some real practical stuff people can, can do in their own life right now to look at their schedule, look at where they're at and say, okay, I want to get involved. That's terrible. No one ever should be trafficked. No one ever should you know, be forced to do anything that they're not wanting to do. Um, I think that's some great practical stuff for sure. Thank you for that, Rebecca. So um, scariest moment maybe scariest moment, maybe while you were trafficked or scariest moment now post book, what, what I'll let you pick which one you want to try to answer.
1: (laughs) So much. I mean, obviously when you live in a life of, of human trafficking, there's been so many scary moments I've had. Um, so many, like more than I could even put in the book, right? When I turned in the book, it was 93,000 words. Um, I was contracted for only 55,000 words. So like half of my story was cut to make score count. And um and that's okay. We have stuff we're doing with other parts of stories that didn't make the best. You get you know, you get other things you can do to squeeze that orange, as Gary V says. But um so many moments and, and like I said earlier, we didn't it didn't we didn't want it to be a story of just like abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse. that gets, that gets hard for people. It's hard to read, it's hard to hear. Um it just that is. And so we wanted to highlight like how bad it was so that you could see how great the redemption is. But, um, so many scary moments. I think my two biggest were probably, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think all, there's a lot of scary moments. I'm not just physically afraid for your life. I mean, I've been trapped in rooms. I've been, you know, hor- horrifically assaulted. Um, I've been, I've been trapped in rooms for hours and then thrown out in a hallway with nothing like the person stays in their hotel room with your car keys and so you can't even get away. Um, just like a lot of moments of fear. Like if I call the cops, I'm going to go to jail. If they find out I have a kid, they might take my child. If I knock on this door, this guy could hurt me more. Like what do you do when you feel like you have nobody to reach out to because of the stigma and the laws and, and all of these barriers, so to speak. But I mean, I think the other scariest part is like starting over. You feel like there's all this abuse happening and it gets to a point where you know you have to run, but the option is homelessness, right? And so a lot of trafficked women, especially if they're single moms and the clients we serve, almost 90% of the clients we serve have at least one child. There are a lot of single moms that are like, I don't want to be abused. I hate this. But my other option is homelessness. Um, It's just scary. It's a really scary moment. To walk out that door with your baby or your little kid in tow, backpack on their back, to walk out that door and choose, like, I'm going to go into a shelter tonight because I can't do this anymore. And that's not just for traffic victims. I think anyone who comes out of domestic violence, like, that is the scariest moment is walking out that door. And so I appreciated that when I finally ran for good, what really helped me was my aunt, who actually worked at a domestic violence shelter. And she had been trained in um, helping create what they call a safety plan. And one thing she shared um, at our book tour, she she actually came in and sat on the Q&A panel with me, which was really fun um, here locally. But one thing she shared that I didn't even know about until recently, I wish I would have put it in the book. I didn't I didn't even know about it, was she shared about um, when people are facing some of those moments of having to make really hard decisions to walk out of what feels financially secure, um, like at least with, you know, in being trafficked, I always had food. I always had the power bill was paid, you know? So like some of my kid was always i clothes to wear and a car to drive her to school in. So like you're trading. So it, it feels like in your mind. Um, and so one thing she did was she walked through the safety plan. She was like, so who are you going to call when it's time, when you're ready to walk out that door, who are you going to call? And what happens if they're not available or they don't answer the phone? Who are you going to call next? And what happens if they don't answer their phone? Who's your third person you're going to call? And just walking through that with someone that helps you because your brain feels like you're living in this literally like a tornado or a hurricane and like you can't think clearly. You're in these panic modes of like running for your life and grabbing paperwork. Did you get a birth certificate? Did you grab an ID? The flight won't let you on. Like there's just so much panic to have someone sit and say, who are you going to call? What happens if they don't answer? what happens if they don't answer? And just saying it out loud at least makes you feel like you've gotten a little bit of a plan that you're confidently can walk out that door. That was really scary, walking out the door and running. And then I tried two lots. I think that's why also it was scary. I, I had I multiple attempts at escape and um, it never seemed to work real well. And so it's just the fear of like, is it going to work this time? You know, And what if it doesn't really find me? come to Oregon. He came to Oregon once and found me. I put that, you know, I wrote about that in the book. Showed up at Boatnik. It's just really scary. I think post book, some of the scariest things are going really, really public with your story. I mean, there's so many mean people out there. I'm not just talking about my traffickers. I'm talking about all the online trolls, all the internet, you know, keyboard champions that have something to say about you and your family Um, that they'll judge entire perceptions off you, of you off of even a one hour podcast interview, right? Where you, you really don't know me as a person. You don't know how I mother my kids. You don't know how I try to lead um, women. You don't, you don't really, really know me. And there are going to be people that will never be allowed in your small circle where you have to stay, where you can finally be you to let the guard down. There's very few people in there, but um, it's hard because then you're constantly getting, you know, assaults thrown at you. I guess that's the risk you take when you decide to go public, and people would say, "Well, you decide. You made that choice. You counted the cost." And I'm like, "Yep, I did." And and I'm hopeful that people where the book's life has changed and it's made a difference that they reach out as much as those who are throwing stones, because people need to hear that. So even if it's not me and you're listening today and you've read a book or you've heard a sermon or you've seen someone on the public eye that has made a difference in your life, let them know. I know it feels like it's not that big of a deal, but if the only emails we get are constant, <laughs> constant attacks, constant, I can't believe you dressed like that. I can't believe you said that. Whatever. Um, you're a bad mom. You shouldn't have breeding rights. I, I get all sorts of crap all the time and like be nice, be kind, People are trying the best. We all, even if you don't agree, sometimes with a little thing they said here or there, like we're making big sweeping judgments of people on one thing they did or said, or I don't know. Even Amazon reviews. I had one lady that did me an Amazon review that was like, "I said that I fat shamed women in my book." I'm like, what are you talking about? I described every human being because, as an author, you want to set the scene, right? So I, I shared about. I literally shared a girl as like scrawny. I think I shared another girl as robust. I shared another person of having like strawberry blonde hair stuck to their forehead from sweating, um, dry heaving during their kicking heroin. Right, like I tried to describe everybody. I described the buyers. I described the cop. I described so to get someone to like. I was just like, I yay yay. But going public with your story is hard because everyone has something to say and. Eh, it is what it is i'm I'm not complaining but you asked what my scary post book is i think it's just going really really
0: yeah i i think anytime and and i've learned this too Not that we've gotten tons of emails or backlash from the sound of it that you've gotten because i that would be just humiliating and maybe a little bit demotivating and you know just losing focus uh we we don't get any of that we're not we're not I guess, cool enough for that uh, type of feedback yet. uh, And I jokingly say cool enough, but I think anytime you put yourself out in a public forum, you just don't know what the repercussions are going to be. And uh, I think it takes, again, a very strong person to be able to say, you know what, sifting through the crap and the mire and the muck to say, you're not going to derail what I'm doing. And I think that's just powerful. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to play the other side of the coin, which I often don't want to do, but I think it's 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 value to it brings value to the conversation. Some would say, if your God and my God, because I'm in the same uh, camp, I believe as as you are, if our God is so amazing, why on earth would He allow any of this to happen to you? Why wouldn't He have pulled you out of it if He's so amazing and so great?
1: Well, I mean, I believe He did pull me out of it. So He is amazing and great because He did get me through. Um, I know a lot of, I don't say, maybe not a lot. I know a handful of women who didn't make it through. Um, you know, I I learned, of I didn't know them personally. I learned of two women who had been murdered while being trafficked, um, you know, people target women in prostitution. And, um, I think those are the families of those who have lost their children due to violence. Um, it's hard because then the question of they never got the chance to get pulled through why we got that. That's hard. Those are really hard questions to wrestle with. And and this goes to right like Christian ethics and apologetics and all the things, but I, I think at the root of it, evil exists in our world. Um, God did not make robots. God does not bless us based on work. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Blessings come from obedience, but, um, we don't, we don't try to earn his love. That's not how, that's not how he works. He, he created us for relationship. He gave us free will. Um, and it's really, you really have to believe that to know that in this world, evil exists. It's not God's will. And, um, I mean, you kind of get into this theological debate between
0: Calvinism and things like that. Right, I mean, that was, that was not my intention in any means. One faith tradition is going to yeah. throw a I mean, stone at me. But, but, um, and, I'm not, and that wasn't a trap question, by the way, by any means. I, I hope you don't feel that way. But I, I, I just know that there are those that listen to our show and who say there is no God. If God is so great, why do bad things happen to good people? And and, and we could go all day and round and round on a merry-go-round and get dizzy, but I think what... Our, what I'm hearing you say is the fact that you got through because God allowed it to get through. There are others that don't get through for whatever reason. Am I, am I summing that up right? Or am I wrong?
1: Well, I think evil, evil exists in our world. Evil exists. And and that, and we all have free will. Um, God gave us free will because he, he wants us to, he didn't want robots. He wanted relationship with people. Right. And so I think, the hard part is seeing when, when evil can, when evil exists, it's like, why does God allow evil to exist? It's like without allowing us free will. Um, and because sin entered the world (laughs) and, and at that point, when sin entered the world, um, it's, it's going to happen, unfortunately. And it doesn't mean that God's a bad God. It doesn't mean that he's not powerful. It, it, It means that we have free will and sin exists. And, You get to choose today. The decisions you make, the testimony you're going to build in your own life, and we we may feel like our little sins aren't, you know, nearly as evil as as big sins, and that's so true. But we still get a choice to choose today how we're going to live, and and that can affect people, and that can impact people, and that can go all the way to the other spectrum of really extreme evil, right? When people unfortunately make really bad choices, that it affects good people too, and. Um, all we can do is continue to pray and hope and trust and believe that evil exists in our world. But that's why, you know, we're here to, to be advocates and allies and, and be in the fight here on earth to try to continue to let justice prevail and and um, fight the good fight of faith and, you know, all the things that, that we're here for. Answer the call, step out, do something great, like fight against it. You don't have to sit dormant and complain about evil you can get in the ring <laughs> that would be my challenge to yeah people. <laughs> that's a
0: great challenge get in the ring i love that expression so I, I know we're kind of short on time and i want to be mindful of that but there's two questions i want to get to if, if we can permit you for two more questions yeah okay mm-hmm. so um you know i know you talk about in the book but maybe for those who that haven't read it why they need to go read it and, and maybe give them a little tease on this part of the book if you're willing to share it and that's this how on earth were you able to forgive the three men that trafficked you? You
1: know, This is definitely um, a story I try to share in the book that I was driving up to mentor one of my first trafficked teenage girls. Um, she was up in Portland at a girl's home up there, and I was driving um, – and I had gotten to this part on the freeway. And if you're familiar with I 5, it's right around Roseburg, right? Where the. the Sutherland, signal yeah. Start, yeah, signal starts to go out a bit. And you're trying to just <laughs> be trying to find a radio station if you don't have, you know, podcasts back then weren't really that big, and um, if at all. <laughs> and, and, you know, whatever. So I'm and I'm getting a little staticky. Um, music. And so I I finally get some, and I'm like, oh, I love this song, and I'm turning it up, and I'm singing along. It's this old-school gospel song. I mean, like, old-school gospel. And I think, where do I even know this from? Like, how do I even know this really old gospel song from, like, the 70s, you know? And it hit me that my trafficker used to play it in the home. And I thought, no. And I felt like I heard God say, He is my son, and I love him. I'm not happy with his choices, but he is my son, and I love him, and I died for him. And I just started crying, and I thought, Gosh, I wonder what happened in his life that's taken him this far. And so I just started praying, not only for him, but to forgive him, and that God would have its way in his life, all of all of their lives, right, regardless of. Whether God wants to save them and, and turn them around for some radical testimony, or, or whether vengeance is coming and God's going to set it straight—like God's will be done—you know, you can kind of take your hand off what you want to happen, and I feel like that's when you feel real freedom to be like, it's not—it's not on me no more. So I'm not going to carry that burden or that worry or that anger anymore. I'm not going to let it take root in my heart. But even from there, I felt like my prayer transitioned to just to to, to men in general, where it was like. Uh, by the, I shouldn't say men in general, but I, I felt like my prayer life began to shift to fight the hypersexuality and that is rampant in our culture, Or we're telling our young men that somehow going to a strip club on your 18th birthday has become our cultural norm, that somehow watching pornography is what everybody does, that somehow buying a quote unquote hooker at your bachelor party is somehow this rite of passage into marriage. Like, I've just started binding so the spirit sick. of hypersexuality so yeah. that is consuming our youth. Yeah. And like, we have to shift the way the next generation sees sex for sale because it's it's getting so unhealthy that it's actually ruining future relationships because of lack of ability to be intimate. Not, not sexually intimate, but just like relational with people. Um, and so I, it was just this really great moment for me in my forgiveness journey, to have this, this reminder from God that's like, these are my people and I love them. And I died for them. I'm not happy with their choices, but I, but like, I could, cr- like, you know, I died for them. So I just keep telling myself that it's not easy when you've been hurt, when you have, you know, serial killers out there. So like that is not easy. And uh, I'm not saying that I don't, have to do it often and <laughs> we try to pray through it often and i'm not i'm not condoning anyone's sin by any means um but we can pray in the spirit against against the sin and against the evil and we can fight it um and we can also set boundaries and right i mean there's all these things you can go into right. I, I heard the critic once say it was a really really great analogy he said don't you know and i'm obviously you want to burn a bridge when someone's abusing you by all means but I also loved on the, you know, on a smaller spectrum of, 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 of hurt, where he said, you don't have to burn a bridge, but you can check the weight limit. And so like, oh, what you carry is too heavy to come on this side. I think setting up really clear and firm boundaries is very healthy. I think reading books on boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud has been really helpful for me. Um, but if you're in abuse and you're in an abusive situation, um, please absolutely leave, call for help. There are people out there that want to help you create safety plans, get out of situations, with resources and communities to help people start over. I'm never put up with being abused by any means, so.
0: Okay, last question, and then hopefully we have time for a game. So here's our last question. Okay. Uh, how will you uh, – I know you have daughters. Not only do you have a daughter off at college, as we talked about from the onset, but you have some other daughters, younger daughters. How will you teach your daughters about your story?
1: Um, man, I think – You know, we talk, we talk to the kids about safety in general, you know, good touch, bad touch, online safety, online, you know, social media safety. Um, We talk when they're, obviously it's all varies based on age. We talk with the younger ones uh, when, when the first frozen came out, I used that. As an opportunity um to talk to them, but also I, I wrote a blog that ended up getting a lot of downloads that was just about how to use the movie movie frozen to talk to your kids about um trafficking without using the word trafficking, where we can, you know, remind them that when someone tries to fast track a relationship with you, that's a red flag, right? Hans was pretending to be someone he was not in order to get the kingdom. You can't always trust people that are trying to immediately um attach themselves to you in, in terms of friendship or relationship. And I think anyone who's even familiar and and does any work within the bullying community, it's really similar in terms of, of like, it always seems to be whenever a kid goes to a new school, there's that analogy. It's like, it's always the bad kids that invite you to the lunch table first. Right. And so just being thoughtful, obviously I'm making a very broad sweeping analogy, but just being thoughtful about anyone's attempt to fast track a relationship with you, friendship or otherwise, someone online that's trying to fast track, someone in school, um, and definitely that includes um, trafficking. So I think it's just about having safe safe people in your life, being thoughtful of, of all of the different facets without being age appropriate, I think is important. When they're older, obviously, we talk way more in depth, but I am just as, you know, six. So... A very different conversation with a six-year-old um than it is with my 20 year old so it's just had to morph and grow um with every season of their of their maturity too but those are some different ways we talk to younger kids and then obviously it gets a little bit more into the social media and online safety as they get older and now that my 20 year old she knows she knows everything and and sometimes she calls and is like mom what's ha- i'm suspicious of this or mom how do i do this and, and sometimes she doesn't. <laughs>
0: they're 20. <laughs> yeah, they're they're 20. They know it all, right? Of
1: course. Yeah. They know everything.
0: So, Rebecca, thanks so much for giving us some time today. Um, we'll play our game. This is a game we like to call senseless. This is how we end our show. You're not here locally. Well, you are. You're in your area, and we're in our area of Oregon. But, uh, but we're going to roll on your behalf. So five senses, and then six is our wild card. So here we go. I'm going to roll on your behalf. You got a number four. Uh What is uh, the sound okay. or noise you love to hear?
1: <laughs> Number four, sound or noise I love to hear.
0: Right, because senseless, we have, you know, five senses and then six is the wild card. So, yeah, sound or noise you love oh, that's
1: to hear. great. Right now with quarantine, I love to hear the pop of the wine cork, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but... Um... <laughs>
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, the sound of my husband coming home, your turn for the children. That is the two sounds. But I'm quarantined. I am loving is my husband's car pulling up and the wine. Um, That's but, hilarious, you know, by the I way. Don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean in real life, like non-quarantine life, it definitely is. I don't know. I never thought about this. um I love the sound of a good track Me, I love the sound of a busy street with cars and people chattering. I'm an extrovert. So, um, I just love the busyness of people. I love watching people. I think it's fun and, and we're all so unique and, and different. And that brings me a lot of joy. Just seeing, just seeing humans do their thing.
0: Awesome. Rebecca, thanks so much for coming on. I love your answers. I love the perspective that you gave us today. Uh, Just super excited to have you on. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Guys, just remember, and, and I say this so often, but really when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. I don't think we can get a more exact perspective except for someone that has walked through hell and have come out the other side and gives God the glory in that. To me, that is a phenomenal perspective. I hope you take that with you. Not only share Rebecca's story, but get her book. We're going to make it available to you as well. Uh, So get a copy of that, read it, listen to it, whatever it takes. Get this information and get involved in your community. She has some great resources on her website. Rebecca, real quick, what's the website people can go to to get some resources?
1: You can just go to rebeccabender.org. Everything's there. You can follow us on socials from there. Sign up for the newsletters. There's a resource page there. Everything you need, rebeccabender.org.
0: Awesome. Thank you again, Rebecca. And again, guys, remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. On behalf of Garrett and myself, I want to say thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes. Thank you again for joining us on Other People's Shoes this week. I am your host, Neil Matthews, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. That was a very exciting episode for me, but also a very hard episode. Rebecca's story to me is so powerful and so impacting. And to think that there are so many other women that are being exploited in the sex trafficking business, and uh, it's just it's mind-boggling. And uh, I love Rebecca. I love the work that she's doing. And guys, I, I would encourage you. If you're interested, please go check out our book. We, of course, have linked that in our show notes. We would love for you to get a hold of her story and just hear firsthand what we got to experience. So if you're interested in that, of course, as I said, please check out our show notes. And we have linked all that information in there. We'd like to talk about next week. And in fact, here's a little sneak preview of next week's show. And and I use those words very intentionally. I use the word assignment
1: in the kingdom of god because it's not a job it's not a role it's not it's my assignment just like right now during this time we're spending together i am very confident confident that my assignment
0: is to do everything i can to answer questions you have truthfully to the person listening to attempt to speak with integrity and truth
1: and sharing either my story or questions you're asking me that is my assignment right now for this hour, or however, m- that we're spending together. And and I do that on a daily basis.
0: That is right. We're going to be sitting down with a gentleman that in my mind has a very unique perspective, not only on business, but coaching, mentoring. His name is Tim Winders. Now, for some of you, you may not know that name, and that's Okay. By the end of next week's show though, you should know his name because he is one of those guys that I believe can really motivate you to go out and seek and go and create something amazing in this world for the better. So if you're interested in that, we of course would love to invite you back next week, next Wednesday specifically to our show, Other People's Shoes. And that of course can be found at OPSpodcast.com. That of course where past, present, and future episodes are. We would love for you to listen there. We would of course love to hear from you as the listener. So if you'd like to give us some feedback, tell our executive producer, Garrett, he's doing a great job. You of course can text or send us a voicemail, leave us a voicemail at 203 548 7463. That is our text and uh, voicemail line, so that is available to you as well. Speaking of available to you, we of course are on the major social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We do post daily under the name OPS Podcast Show. So look for us there, search for us there, like us, follow us, tweet us there. We of course would love to interact with you daily there. And guys, just remember, as I do so often say, remember when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. I just want to invite you back next week to our show and keep inviting you back. And guys, thank you again for listening. We do appreciate it. And remember, we'll be back next Wednesday. So stay tuned for that as we walk in other people's shoes.